the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Thanks for listening to the Town Hall Review with Hugh Hewitt podcast, bringing to you the best voices on the stories and issues that matter. Helping make it all possible is the generous partnership with the Pepperdine Graduate School of Public Policy. Here's another piece I'll trust you enjoy. Good morning, Senator. Welcome back to the show. You did a great job yesterday. I appreciated your civics lesson. Oh, thanks. You you were the one. (laughs) Well, I did. I enjoyed it. I was listening to it. Uh, I just thought the other side, uh, the the fear-mongering on the ACA, you know, most legal scholars think that's a silly argument. There's no way they're going to say it's not severable. Uh, but but nevertheless, they they argued that I just I'm astonished sometimes, Senator, at what goes on on the other side. Yeah, I'm I'm no legal scholar, but my reading of it is also that severability is a really important topic. And I don't think I want to ask Judge Barrett about that today, because then it will be confused by the media as us saying we shouldn't be doing outcomes. And then it's like we're doing outcomes. But it does feel like there are a whole bunch of people who just want to use this hearing as a get out the vote strategy. And whether or not it's connected to reality for what might happen in the court after the election doesn't concern them very much. And it's just it's kind of a gross uh, distortion of what we should be doing at the civics level of making sure the American public understands what a confirmation hearing is, because what's a judge's and especially a justice's job? I would also like you gave a lesson as a Ph.D. from Yale, a historian, the Stop. American I don't ever people want to admit any of that. Yeah, I know. I know. I know. But I, but as a historian, the great convulsion of the Civil War, which was, you know, as Lincoln's second inaugural said, the, the necessary justice done to the United States resulted in two things. The Judiciary Act of 1869. But before that, the 14 men of 1868. Those two things are cornerstones of the rule of law. And when people talk about court packing and they won't even admit what it means, they are undermining the fundamental rule of law. I get very exercised about this, Senator. They should not, if they're going to try and pack the court, they ought to at least be upfront about the, the danger that it poses. Yeah, I mean, the, the structure we have, these three branches that check and balance one another, it's, it's fragile. And if you end the deliberative structure of the United States Senate and you do that for the purposes of packing the court, you're really fundamentally remaking the American system. And we got lots of stuff that's broken in our uh, public life and public square and civil discourse and public trust right now. And it's an incredibly dangerous thing to do. I think it's a terrible idea, but at least be upfront with the American people. And instead, they've decided to come up with this dodge where they just have this Orwellian spin by saying, well, we know that in our focus grouping, court packing is a term that nobody likes. So why don't we just say the other side did it? So now they're talking about filling open vacancies as court packing. Are you kidding me? I mean, it's like the difference between taking the field and shooting the referee. (laughs) Well, but I also think that, that, you know, when Leader McConnell blocked all of the Democratic judges in the last two years, it was payback for uh, Harry Reid breaking the filibuster. I mean, that was just the quid pro quo of the Senate. And I don't know why we can't admit that. And, And, you know, the the Senate is a majoritarian institution when it comes to nominations now. That's Harry Reid's doing. But what I really worry about, and I'd like to have your thoughts on this, people always think I'm an alarmist when I bring up the Roman Revolution, which actually 
it takes 70 years for Rome to lose its Republican status because of continued assaults on the most mayorum, the way that things were done, just continually assaulting traditional norms. We're going through that right now. And people don't understand. You can't shake the pillars without bringing down the house. I, I strongly agree. I mean, I when I was running in 2013-14, one of the most common topics on the trail was the Waters of the U.S. rule um, that was about the EPA uh, and, you know, trying to remake the way we regulate agriculture, even when it's intrastate issues. But I'd say a close second was executive overreach. And executive overreach follows from legislative underreach. So now going back to your Roman history, um, if the Senate just becomes a place that seems like a nice honorific, it's a title people want, but it's not an institution that wants to actually work through the hard choices and trade-offs that have to do with public policy and power, if it just becomes a place where people grandstand because they want your job, they wish folks here wish they could be pundits instead of actually having any influence over the legislative decision-making that's happening, then inevitably you're going to grow an administrative state. Inevitably you're going to grow an executive branch. And the public then starts to think of the presidency as this quasi-kingly um, power. And when you do that with majoritarian 51-49 voting, it means that all of culture has to be swallowed up by the politicization of, I got to get to 51-49 because otherwise the world's going to end. Washington, D.C. is just not supposed to be that important in people's daily lives. Yeah, Senator, you obviously prepare and you're right about that. But in the minute that we have left, I hate the missed opportunity. Justices come out for questions once, once in their life. And to use it for political grandstanding instead of the education of the American public about what judges do is, to me, tragic. I agree. We have to have people understand what judicial activism is, why it's bad, and why putting on a black robe, cloaking yourself, uh, is all symbiotic with uh, not standing for election. It's symbiotic with lifetime tenure because these are this is supposed to be the apolitical branch. And that shouldn't be a Republican uh, argument. It should be something that Democrats also want to argue for so that the political branches have the accountability to the people. Do you do you think you can get questions of Judge, of Judge Barrett that will illuminate that, Senator Sand? I mean, she won the teaching award at Notre Dame year after year after year. I mean, hopefully people would want to be asking her questions because it turns out she's pretty good at teaching. Amen. Ben Sass, thank you, Senator. Always a pleasure. Good luck today. Thanks for listening to the Town Hall Review. Our program is coming today in partnership with the Pepperdine Graduate School of Public Policy. It's America's most unique graduate leadership programs offered on Pepperdine's breathtaking campus in Malibu, California. Learn more at publicpolicy.pepperdine.edu. If you're enjoying the podcast, please tell a friend to go to Town Hall Review and sign up as well today. This is Albert Moeller for townhall.com. So what's really up when you hear controversy over how judges are to apply the Constitution of the United States? Actually, more than most citizens understand. Here is the plain and simple issue at stake. In the early 20th century, liberal justices on the Supreme Court began to argue for what they called a living constitution. They meant that the Constitution had to be understood as a document that judges must make relevant for their own times. This is how they came up with a supposedly constitutional right to abortion, for example. 
Conservative justices are originalists, meaning they read the Constitution as it was written, in its original meaning. If the judges get to make up new meanings of the Constitution and essentially legislate, we are ruled by judges, not by law. All that is at stake in the fight for the Supreme Court, and you can see why it is so important. I'm Albert Moeller. The Pepperdine Graduate School of Public Policy. For those considering careers in politics and policy.